Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for joining us today. Today we've got Nadine Levitt, and she is a leading global education expert specializing in emotional intelligence, feelings, and inspiring the complete reimagination of the educational system, which was desperately needed. Nadine is revolutionizing the way children are educated through creativity, music, artistry, and entrepreneurship, acknowledging the outdated current education paradigm does little to reflect the future of the work, relationships, business, and health. As an author, a music artist, a lawyer, a gifted entrepreneur, and parent, Nadine understands firsthand the complexities of the education system and feels compelled to lead a revolution for her children and future generations. She's the founder of the EdTech platform, Worley EDU, My Mama Says, and PD Reimagined all of which contribute to pioneering her footprint in the educational space. Nadine, thanks so much for being with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, it's such an interesting talk today because my mom was a teacher. And of course, this was a while ago, but she taught senior English. And when I think about how we learn today Mm -hmm. and how we learned, you know, 30 years ago, it's it's blows my mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was really, it came about because of the industrial revolution, you know, so that's how schools came about. And back then they wanted everybody to think in the same way and to, they're prepping people for, to be factory workers. Right. Um, And it was a little bit about controlling um, civilizations and things like that. Whereas today that's the opposite of what we want. We want creative thinkers. We want innovation. Uh, we want to empower individual voices. Uh, and so it's a very, very different um, need. Uh, and I think the pandemic also made a lot of people stop and think about why we educate. Why do we send kids to school? Why do we Why do we have this whole system, the public education system, available to people? And I was very conscious of the fact that as we go back to life, you know, uh, post-pandemic, that I don't want to go back to what we had. I just think that we have an opportunity to really switch some things around and and make it and start with that why so that we really have a goal, a North Star. Well, and you're the mother of two, correct? Correct. (laughs) So you've got some personal gain, motivation here. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I think about, you know, why... Why do we want kids to go to school? For me, it's I really want my kids to learn how to be curious and how to use their curiosity to develop knowledge. So they should love learning because we, I do believe, are lifelong learners. It doesn't end at school. I also don't think that it's just students that are learning in schools. It's just as much teachers and school leaders that are learning at school. And because we're lifelong learners, why not teach people the skills to follow their curiosity, make them love learning, um, and teach them how to apply known knowledge to sort of keep developing that knowledge base. Well, you know, you're right. If, if we can make learning fun, then mm-hmm. it's something that we want to do. And Absolutely. why, I mean, I can remember, and I'm in the middle of a 
finishing up a PhD program now, but that's a different type of learning because mm-hmm. it has to be so much more self-inspired. And But I can remember in high school, you know, algebra, why am I learning this? How yeah. am I, how am I ever going to use this? Mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of it is, I think in order to learn anything, you really need to have first and foremost, a relationship of trust. And then you need to have the right balance of challenge and support. And with that, when you have that, you start to understand that the knowledge that you already have, so curiosity actually requires some kind of prior knowledge. You can't be curious about something that has you have absolutely no knowledge of in any way, shape or form. Uh, what fosters curiosity is when you have some knowledge, but your body identifies a knowledge gap. And that's what, what curiosity is about. And uh, I love this concept that with within learning, understanding that for a lot of kids, you know, there's a huge gap. I mean, I'm in music education. Um, most of my I spend most of my time in music education. And uh, there, a lot of kids come in. They don't have any prior knowledge of someone like Mozart or Beethoven or anyone like that. And so you can't start there. Otherwise, there's not going to be any interest level. If you start with, say, uh, you know, ask who they do like and say they say Justin Bieber, that's a perfect um, uh, opportunity to say, well, he was also a child prodigy. So let's compare the two. Let's compare Justin Bieber with a Mozart, for example. And then you've got an end because you've you've got some prior knowledge that they can lay a stake to and, and really believe that they already know some of this. Mm. Well, I think, you know, it's got to be, relevant to them in their time and space and Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those it's are, meaning making, right? Yes, <laughs> abs- absolutely. So you've created, you've created some, a platform mm-hmm. and Worley EDU. Tell us about that. So Worley EDU was uh, created, it's a, a music education platform uh, but it doesn't that doesn't just teach music. It, it maximizes the learning so that you're also teaching social emotional skills. So rather than me saying, hey, Lee, we're going to learn this song, which if you're not a lifelong musician or you don't have that interest to be a musician or a performer, uh, then you kind of switch off and it's a subconscious thing. You switch off and that information goes in the not important right now pile. Whereas if I said, Lee, we're going to learn the song, but this is really just problem solving 101. So what do we do when we problem solve? We break it down into bite-sized chunks. We recognize patterns. We create a a schedule for ourselves as to when we want to complete something by. And we check in with ourselves and try and, uh, you know, adjust accordingly so that we get to our, our goal. And that tends to be problem solving across the board. And so if you in the moment, purposefully point out that this is also problem solving, it becomes more important and it's easier to access. We then also have, um, uh, you know, I, I was very conscious of the fact that you don't, you don't teach math to be a mathematician or science to be a scientist or English to be a writer. It was always very curious to me that we teach music to be a musician from the outset, uh, because I don't think it's a narrow definition like that. I don't think music education should just be for performers. I think that there are a billion dollar careers in the music industry that um, can be fostered. And, you know, you can start to have kids explore certain things within music that might be more music appreciation, might be more music business, might be more music um, like songwriting or something like that. And so that's really where we start to 
uh, create modules specific all the way down to sort of middle school, even general music, where kids can start to explore actual careers, real life skills that happen to be music in the music industry, in the creative industry. Well, you know, I was just surprised to learn how much math is involved in music. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And music's also a wonderful place. Uh, it's, it can be used to rote learn certain things. I mean, I still sing the month song, the day of the month, uh, how many days in each month. I can't for the life of me remember it without the song. Uh, same with the alphabet. I, <laughs> I, have to, I still find myself singing the alphabet song. So I do think that there's um, a lot of ways that we can use music in a more integrative, sort of more supportive way to other subjects as well. Uh, music sort of inherently makes us feel something. And the reason it does that is because it's one of the only things that really, where they enter, you know, the sound waves enter your body through your ears and they move your eardrums and your brain is sort of trying to catch up thinking, what the heck happened? <laughs> like, what what happened? And how do I, how, and they're trying to make sense of it. Your, your brain is then making sense of it and co- recalling all sorts of different memories and different sensory things so that your uh, that's why you feel things when you listen to music, why you feel emotions and, and recall maybe other past memories. And because of that, it really lends itself really well to deep learning, uh, whether it's sort of any kind of creative process, like a, an end cap to a lesson, for example. If you're learning about history and you start to delve into the music of the times and you then connect that emotion that you feel with the music uh, to something that you're learning, there's more meaning making there. You know, it's interesting because I think YouTube has done so much for for music. There's music to study by. There's music to relax to. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, you go on YouTube um, and it's amazing the different types of music that has been designed and put out there. Yeah, and I certain, mean, all, all, I think all the streaming, uh, even even Spotify and uh, Pandora, they they in iTunes, you know, they they all have these amazing places. And then YouTube obviously is for free, uh, and you often get a visual to it as well. Uh, YouTube also is a great place to learn a lot of things. I mean, a lot of uh, young um, young artists put these incredible videos out as to you know how how to. I shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't just uh, limit it to young people. By the way, it's actually uh, all kinds of people. I correct that. <laughs> uh, but they put out these incredible videos on like how to learn certain chords or how to learn a song, and often it's a great way to connect right with an artist and and really hear it directly from them. Well, so you designed this program to be used in schools, or did the school just pick it up? Initially, uh, it was actually not a, an education-specific product. It was sort of more of a karaoke on steroids kind of a concept because we had these recording tools, and um, I was a singer myself, and I really wanted. It. I, I really saw that, you know, singing or any kind of performance is really self-expression, and it drove me crazy that I couldn't just take a song, change the key, change the speed, maybe change the instrument instrumentation, and then record myself. And share it. And so that was the initial idea, and that was Wally. And then um, I have been passionate about education for 
you know, 12, 12 years or so. And in that time, I was on different boards and I would go to a lot of classrooms and I would see people using Whirly in the classroom. And the reason they were using it was when you're first learning something that you want to slow it down. Or when a girl sings a guy's song, it's always in the wrong key. And so it's really helpful to be able to have those customization tools. And I got really excited at first. And then I realized, you know, it's really not built for that because I'm also a lawyer. So I'm very conscious of like making sure that everything's really um, uh, compliant uh, within any sort of regulation. And, uh, and I'm also a parent. So I wanted to make sure that it was safe. And I built something specific for schools. And so it's got now you know, thousands of lessons and it's got the biggest popular music catalog uh, in K through 12 ed tech, all fully licensed. Uh, and then these recording tools for students. So they feel a little bit like it's like a TikTok type of uh, experience, only they're learning. That's so interesting. And I bet kids love it. Absolutely. I mean, when I say kids, I mean all ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been much, it's been really, really uh, fun to watch kids pick it up even without their teachers having been trained yet. I mean, it sounds like it's very interactive. It's yeah, it's very interactive, very engaging, and it's simple to use. So kids can really go in there on their own and, and learn songs, there's videos. uh, But it's not it's not meant to replace teachers in any way, shape or form. It's really meant to uh, support teachers. So this is definitely something that teachers can use in a flipped learning scenario in a um, in person or virtual. And what's different, I think, for us is we built a whole learning management system specifically for performing arts just because there were videos and there was no learning management system that allowed the sharing of videos because they're such big file sizes. So we had to make it. Uh, I feel very strongly that if you uh, really want to learn something, then you've got to inspire kids first and engage them somehow. Then you, so that's the inspiration step for us. And then you teach them some, some new skills and they practice those and then they record themselves and that's really important. And then they reflect on their recording. And the recording shouldn't just be at the end of the year or like when, it's, when something's supposed to be perfect. It's really supposed to be as you're practicing to record yourself because that's when you can tweak things because your judgment's not as strong then. Your expectation isn't that it's finished. And so uh, it's real experiential learning. So you're, you're doing something, you're um, watching it back, and then you're reflecting on it. Well, it's... Certainly sounds like it makes music more doable for someone like that's not musically inclined. And I mean, I can remember taking piano lessons as a young as a young girl. And just thinking, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get it. So I wish that I would have had the opportunity to experiment with something like that. Yeah, yeah. thank you. So you're an opera singer, correct? I am. I am. So do you feel like that your internal music gift helped you in the creation of this? For sure. It was It was actually when I was, I was still touring. I'd had uh, a baby, my first, my son, my, uh, my oldest. And uh, I really didn't want to be on the road anymore. I, the last thing I wanted to do was be touring away from my baby. I did it for a little bit with him and I was just miserable. And so part of 
the inspiration behind Whirly was actually I did uh, some shows and I was being asked a lot of the time to sing uh, some kind of popular music, a cover or something in my own opera way. And actually I was doing a vocal health benefit, uh, opening a show for Steven Tyler for a vocal health benefit. And I was asked to sing one of his songs, but in my own opera way. And it was in that experience that I was thinking, wow, it's really hard to do that and to a karaoke backing track because all you can hear with that is it's like a sounder like file, right? So you're, you're listening in your head, you're hearing that really iconic voice, that really iconic version. So anything I was trying to do on top of that was trying to be different to that sounded really cheesy and really terrible. (laughs) It sounded awful. And, uh, and so I, I do believe that any great song can be broken down into campfire mode, meaning just one instrument, whether it's guitar, piano, and, uh, you can actually then get creative with it and make it your own. It's more of a blank canvas and you can make things something very different. Like I remember singing, um, lady in red. And of course, normally that is a love song, but to me, it was very much, it was my I was imagining I'm singing that to my daughter the night before her wedding. And for the first time, I'm seeing her as a beautiful, um, grown-up woman. And, and I'm in awe of that. And it's a very different meaning. That's, a, that's an interesting story. It really is. So you've got a couple of other creations mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> what is My Mama Says? So My Mama Says is, uh, again, it was born out of my own uh, experiences as a mom. And my my two kids, as they were going you know, through their toddler years, uh, one of them in particular had really, really big emotions, very, very sensitive. And uh, I went to all the literature to you know, find out how best to teach her about emotions and how to make this something that uh, she can actually leverage and to empower her rather than something that she has to manage. And I was very disappointed with what I saw. There was very little out there that was both empowering and also simple to understand. And I kept hearing awful literature, like awful things, things like um, controlling emotions, which I just don't think is possible. Uh, and uh, I also heard things like that certain, you know, you, you hear a lot of talk about how certain emotions are secondary emotions. And I think it's very difficult for a five-year-old to understand what that means. And so what I ended up doing was writing a book about emotions. And I've, I've been studying emotions ever since. But the idea really is it dawned on me suddenly that all the literature, every single thing I've ever seen talks about emotions one at a time. So this is happiness. This is sadness. This is, you know, anger and so on and so forth. But the problem with that is that emotions never show up for us individually, ever. We never feel one emotion alone. I would challenge anyone to think about when they feel one emotion alone. We always have these emotions inside of us and sometimes they get, some get louder and they get bigger, um, but they're actually working for us. And so happiness, when it's with, for example, excitement and nervousness, because you're about to ride a roller coaster looks and feels really different to happiness when you're also with gratitude and feelings of being in love with someone and you're about to cuddle up on a couch. Very, very different. 
And so I wanted to get away from the caricature sort of one dimensional way of talking about emotions and instead think about them in groups like a watercolor painting where they influence each other. And uh, when kids are asking, you know, they, they come to you and they say, I'm so, I'm so mad or I'm so angry or I'm so frustrated, then you can say, what else are you feeling? And usually then you can, um, you can edge them toward looking also at what the meaning is behind them. Because all our emotions at the end of the day, I believe, are, are trying to help us lead a more fulfilling and connected life. And they're signposting things for us. So if we can start to look past that loudest emotion and instead think about all the different emotions that we're, that are getting loud for us right now, and then think about why they might be showing up for us, then they're actually helping us. And usually once they're acknowledged, they kind of go away. Well, you know, I, I really like what you said about unpacking those emotions, because when you pile them on top of each other, a five-year-old, some 50-year-olds can't understand them. <laughs> um, it's, it, and a five-year-old, they, they never will be able to. And mm -hmm. being able to identify what your emotions you're experiencing is so important from a young age. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think... Uh, labeling them is a, is a huge part of it because you're acknowledging it. Um, and I think especially when we can get away from judging it. So when you're feeling something, you know, I don't believe in a bad emotion or a negative emotion. I just think that some are more challenging than others. But it's very interesting to me that when we're, for example, feeling happiness, uh, it's actually pointing out what we are connecting to, what, what connects us and fulfills us. But often it's very difficult for us to actually see that because we're just enjoying the dopamine hits to our brain that's rewarding us for whatever it is and we're just enjoying the moment, right? Whereas grief is something that is much more challenging to feel. And they, but it tends to really, it points out the same thing. This is what you can, what connects you and fulfills you. And, uh, and it makes us more reflective so that we become very aware of that. And that's, you know, that's harder to do for some people than mm -hmm. it can be very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I think this, the first step is, you know, not judging it, right? And thinking why, why do certain emotions exist for us? And what, how can we use them in a, in a way that actually empowers us? And we can. We absolutely, we, we absolutely can. Give us, give our listeners an example of that. So uh, for young kids, for example, uh, we have, we have yoga cards that also help with this or, or magnet, um, magnet characters. So you can start to think about emotions in groups. Um, and in the, on the yoga cards though, specifically, we actually write some of the things that it might be signposting for you. So if you have um, if you have a, a kid that's having a hard time and, and they can go through the yoga deck and, and pick out all the emotions that they're feeling on the other side of the emotion, it says, maybe this is, you know, this is some, these are some of the things that might be signposting for you. And so when they start to think about that and say, okay, so, um, anger is a wonderful motivator. Um, and it, it's usually asking us to change or protect something. So, how can I use that in a way, how can I leverage that in a way that actually empowers me? And so, but that's not the only part of the story, right? Because you have to look past just the anger. You have to then say, okay, I'm also feeling a little, maybe, maybe I'm feeling jealous too of somebody else. How can I use that? Well, jealous might actually say this, these are the things that you love in somebody else that you want to emulate. Um, uh, or, 
then you look deeper and you say, okay, what else am I feeling? Maybe I'm feeling a bit scared. Like I'm feeling scared that I'm not good enough or I'm scared to be alone or something, or I'm, I'm, I'm feeling some kind of fear. Um, and, and what can that mean? Well, that's just telling you. So fear is just a, it, it's, it's a response by a body of some kind of threat that you're feeling. But when you really look at it, then you can fact check it and say, well, it's also highlighting the things that make you feel secure, right? And so those are the types of things that we do. And we really encourage parents to start thinking about what other emotions there are. And what's interesting is I've really seen massive, massive changes in kids just thinking about it in that way. Like there's no there's no judgment to be had. You can feel things and feel grateful that you feel certain things. It doesn't make it easier to process grief um, or anxiety and things like that, but just acknowledging it um, goes a long way. Well, I think acknowledging it is the first step in processing. Mm-hmm. If you if you can't acknowledge it, you, you're not going to be able to process it. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 when you search for the meaning behind it, I think it it welcomes it in a little bit more too. I mean, and I think that's one thing that we need in today's world is we need to tap into the emotions that are all around us. And mm-hmm. so many, so many people have a really difficult time. They th- they feel like they're being weak if they, you know, look at tap into the emotions. Yeah, and there's it, a lot of a lot of judgment, right, <laughs> that we put yeah. to things like that. Yeah, jealous is is a great one. We don't like to feel jealous. We or even sadness as adults, often we were like, you know, we start to judge it and say, well, I shouldn't feel sad because it's not as bad as what somebody else is going through. Um, and you start to reason your way through it. Whereas if you can try as much as you can to remove that judgment and think about what it means for you as a unique individual, then that's helpful. And, you know, dealing with our emotions is part of our everyday life. And instead of, you know, somebody cuts you off at the stop sign instead of getting mad and just saying, ah, what a jerk, you know, and I'm just not going to think about that. You know, do think about it and laugh about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what did you feel? Well, I felt angry because the guy was a jerk. Well, you know, is the guy still being a jerk? Well, no, then let it go. (laughs) Yeah. And let it also motivate you to not do it to other people. <laughs> there you, that's, there that's you go. A, there you I go. Think, you know, and I think, you know, we just released this new product called emotionwonderland.com. So it's emotionwonderland.com, which is a free quiz, actually, that people can use with their kids to start to identify some of the emotions that they're feeling. And so they pick things like, what face are you most drawn to? What um uh, uh, location are you most drawn to? What music are you most drawn to? What do you think when you see this? And it's a really fun sort of quiz that you can do with kids and it'll tell you these are the types of emotions that are probably getting loud for you today. That sounds like a lot of fun even for an adult. You yeah. know, <laughs> I, we're we're going to take a break here pretty quick. And, but when we come back, I'd like to talk more about that because is it whatever can be used to with kids certainly can be used to help them have conversations with their parents. And a lot of times that's the, particularly as they get, start getting around first grade, that gets harder to do. You know, you get more self-conscious and you become, you, you want that independence and you, and you're less inclined to have those frank, 
honest, emotional conversations. So mm-hmm. stay with Absolutely. us. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we can learn all kinds more about learning with music. We'll be back after these messages. The process of becoming a mom. I've seen everything I don't like in other moms, but I can be perfect and my child can be too. Well, that's not life. It's not cut and dried and perfect. We have cracks and our kids do too. This state of motherhood looked so easy until it happened to me. And then I realized that I don't have any training in this job that's not only difficult, but some days feels impossible. So what do I do now? How do I raise great kids to live happy lives? Am I helping them along the way or hurting them? The key to being a mom is using our resources, other moms. We can grow together and learn from each other. By comparing notes, we can grow stronger, do more, and be better moms. That's what Mom Time TV is all about. Moms helping each other. We may not get to perfect, but we'll sure feel better about ourselves along the way. So join in and make a difference. Mom Time TV, we're talking Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern on TogiNet Radio. It's Marching Recently, my husband took me out for a romantic lobster dinner. I decided to show my appreciation by bringing a few facts about lobsters to the table. For starters, I found out that lobsters can not only pinch, but they can bite you. Their mouths are designed to crush muscle shells. Before they became a delicacy, lobster was considered rather unappetizing and was regularly served to prisoners. In fact, a law was even enacted limiting the number of days prisoners could be fed lobster before it was considered abuse. Lobsters still have the nickname Bugs today. A female lobster is called a hen, and the male is called a cock. A lobster with no claws is known as a pistol, and a cull has just one claw. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we're back, and right before break, we were just learning more about the newest adventure that Nadine has come forward with. Nadine, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it's called EmotionWonderland.com, and it's just a really fun space to uh, have. It's a free quiz for parents uh, and their kids. It's really for kids, but uh, parents can do it too. Uh, But it's supposed to start conversations. So it's you pick sort of what face you're most drawn to or where you'd most like to be in terms of a location. And it's anything from like a beach to a roller coaster and things like that. So it's like, and it's cute and it's fun and there's lots of visual pieces to it. Uh, You listen to music, you say which song you like the best, so on and so forth. And then the end of it, it actually says, here are some of the emotions that might be getting loud for you today. And it groups them into some small groups so that you can start to think about emotions and why they're showing up. And sort of it explains why some of these why some of these emotions come up for us and who they're friends with and um, how you can leverage them. Oh. So is this something that a child can do independently? 
Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, as long as a child can, can read the instructions, uh, then they can do it independently. It goes sort of up from, I've had, we've had a lot of kids do it as young as sort of two and three with their parents. Uh, but it, I think the sweet spot is sort of six and, and up where you start to be able to give them the space to do it as many times as they want on their own terms. And they really, and you know, it's something that can be done over and over again because every day it's a different emotion that you might be feeling. So it's fun to sort of get different combinations too. Yeah. And no, it is. And that makes it, if you can get different combinations, it makes it like a new experience. Mm-hmm, it's not just, exactly. it's not just the same thing. Yeah. So that's, I, I, I feel really strongly. There's three sort of levels of emotional intelligence for me. We were talking on break um, a little bit about the importance of emotional intelligence. And uh, one of the things that sort of I I really think that to have a successful, happy life in relationships and sort of responsible decision making, even in academic or professional successes, you really need to have uh, a strong emotional intelligence skill set. And for me, that's really three levels. There's the first level, which is can you identify them in yourself and others? And then the second level is can you separate out your behaviors and your thought patterns from those emotional responses? Because I truly believe that emotions come and go and you can't control those. Those are just responses. But the uh, behaviors and thought patterns that come with those emotions or that are triggered by those emotions, those you can actually control. And so it's okay to feel angry, not okay to punch somebody is my example. Um, uh, And understanding thought patterns and how they start to spin is really important. And then the third level is unpacking them and understanding like what can they be what can they be telling us? What are they signposting? How can we leverage our emotions to live a more, connected and fulfilled life. Well, and and that's really important for us, even at a young age, to start understanding that is part of having a a fully connected life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I learned it a really, um, I was in my 20s, my very early 20s, when I learned the hard way what can happen when you ignore your emotions. So my my mom was very sick and uh, in and out of hospital for the better part of of the nine or ten months, and uh, you know we were having conversations that we might lose her um, and so forth. And then at the same time, I was doing uh, I was doing my law degree and I was finishing that, and uh, it was just a lot. And I didn't want to really process my emotions because I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to control myself and that I'd just cry and I wouldn't be able to get through my work and I had too much to do. And so I just basically ignored them. And what happened was that they physicalized in my body. And I ended up with 17 stomach ulcers. And oh my I think gosh. this happens a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot to a lot of people. So I learned uh, how if we can just be in touch uh, you know, with our emotions and really allow them to be there and not see them as something to be fought with, but instead that they're a friend trying to help us. Um, and again, it's that right balance, right, of, of being challenged and supported. So that's why we have these, you know, uh, you know, more challenging emotions and also the more, you know, rewarding emotions. And uh, I, I think that if we can think about emotions in that way and there's not a weakness in crying there's no it's not something that you should fear you're not going to lose control 
right? It's not, well, it's not, you don't have control anyway, <laughs> really. There is no real control over the responses that come. They kind of just come and go. Um, but your behavior and your, your, your thought patterns, I think you can control those and you can start to leverage how you want to think about something so that you, you know, so that helps you. Well, I think that you've, when you told me 19 ulcers, Oh, yeah, yeah. Say 17, oh, yeah. 17. Oh, yeah. That's, what's a couple more? <laughs> 17. <laughs> but that just, the impact, you know, the body keeps score of everything that's going on in the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about that a lot at the Brain Performance Center because it does. Mm-hmm. But to get to that point, I am so glad that you turned that negative into a positive. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a lot, stress does a lot of things to the body, anxiety, all, all those emotions, by the way, um, absolutely have an impact on the body. And uh, I, I liken it when I talk to little kids about it, we talk about emotions as being messengers and they take their job really, really seriously and they're just trying to deliver their message. But when we ignore them and it's just like us being ignored, when you go to a birthday party or when you go to somebody's house, if somebody was ignoring you, it would get really frustrating. Or if you were trying to deliver this, you know, a present, a gift, a birthday gift, and they were ignoring you, you'd start using different tactics to get their attention. Either you'd get louder, start waving, use more gestures, um, or maybe you'd start roping in some friends to say, hey, can you help me get their attention so I can deliver this? Or you'd go into complete sort of ninja mode and go very, very quiet Um, and then suddenly sort of drop the present in the middle of the room and leave, (laughs) you know, and that's kind of what emotions can do. They, uh, when they're being ignored, I think emotions can either get louder and louder for us to try and get our attention, uh, or they bring more and more friends, right? That's so, and then that can lead to overwhelm because our nervous, central nervous system is being taxed, um, and uh, or they go into this sort of incognito mode and they hide out in their bodies and then suddenly explode uh, for no re- seemingly no reason um, or physicalize in our bodies. So I, I think when you talk to young kids about that sort of thing, that they can understand that they start to say, OK, that makes sense because I would do that if it was me. Well, and I think anything that can make it easier for young kids is getting them started on the right foot will make such a difference as they go through school. I mean, I've I've seen a statistic that if you're having trouble reading in the third grade, there's a good chance that you will not graduate from high school. Yeah, I've yeah, yeah I've seen that too. And very true. I I think though, and with learning generally. Um, you know, and you will know this much, you'll be able to speak much better than me on this since this is your forte, the brain. Uh, But the hippocampus of our brain, right, which controls the going in and out of um, memory and and recalling of of memories and so forth, learning, uh, can only inhabit one thing at a time. And so when you have these really big emotions coming in, they can kind of, that's the hijacking that happens when and it happened. It actually happened to me not so long ago. I I lost my dog, so I, my 13-year-old died. My 13-year-old dog died, and you know it's heartbreaking. And the grief that you feel is all-encompassing. And 
I, at the same time, I'm doing my master's in education leadership right now. I had an assignment due and I was like, it's okay. I'll just, I'll dig through it. I'll get it done. And I think I read the same paragraph, I don't know, 30 times until I realized there was absolutely no information going in. Absolutely nothing was being retained. And it was because I had these really, really big emotions that I hadn't been processing at all. And so I took, you know, a little bit more time to really sit with that, acknowledge it. And, you know, even though this is my life's work, I'm definitely not perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. So it's a work in progress and you're constantly reminding yourself to check in with yourself and give yourself the space to process things. And when I did that, luckily, emotions do come in waves. So <laughs> you do have spaces where you can, you know, um, also do other things. But um, but I think when you understand the physicality of what's happening in the brain and why you can be hijacked. So anxiety is a, another great example. If kids start to feel too much anxiety uh, and they start and then it spins the thought patterns that they can't do something, which sort of limits their self-belief, right, and negative thought patterns that really limit you. And if you are in third grade and you're reading a little slower than your peers, you start to tell yourself those stories. And it really is that young that you tell, you tell yourself those stories and those stories become expectations, um, because we re- we believe them. And I think the best thing that we can possibly do is just remind ourselves and our kids that we really all do have different timelines. And if we buy into the schedules of, of sc- that schools can put on, then it can be actually more limiting for these kids because it, it really now adds all these emotions to their to their psyche and they, they can't they can't take the information in anymore. So I do think self-belief is a tremendously important piece of the puzzle and allowing kids the space to continue to develop and not believe that they can't do something. Well, and I think unrealistic expectations come into play all through life. Mm-hmm. And they I think they start in school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to do the best. We want to be the write the best paper. And as we age, we understand that perfect does not exist, mm-hmm. that, that there's beauty to imperfection. Um, but the, and we, we do it to ourselves. We set unrealistic expectations for, for ourselves mm-hmm. and then we tend to set them for other people. Mm-hmm. And where does that lead us? It leads yeah. us to a really frustrated point in time. Yeah, in Emotion Wonderland, actually, we um, one of the things that we talk about with happiness, because uh, we we talk about with each each emotion, we talk about what are some of the thought patterns, what are some of the stories I call them the stories that we tell ourselves with this emotion, the types of stories we tell ourselves, and with happiness or feeling in love, for example, often those stories can be, oh, this is going to be great, we're going to live happily ever after. And this is, and so you build a story into your head that may or may not actually be based on any fact. Um, but, but checking in with ourselves and being aware that they're just stories we're spinning, and it's very cute actually. My my daughter turned it around on me the other day. Um, we'd had this whole conversation about her doing her part and keeping her room clean and getting all ready for school because we had to go to school. Uh, and and. Uh, 
I came into her room at the time and I thought she understood it. I thought we all agreed. We co-created the, the rules, so to speak, for that morning. And uh, I walk into her room. It's an absolute mess. And she's not dressed. She's still in her pajamas. She hasn't brushed her teeth, hasn't brushed her hair. And I'm like, Ella, like, what are you doing? And she turns around to me and she says, Mom, are you telling yourself the story that I don't care about you because I haven't done the things that I said I was going to do? Oh, my goodness. And, and it totally calmed me down because I was like, yes, actually, that is what I'm telling myself right now. She said, it's not true. I just, I'm a creative person and I just got distracted, but I'll be ready in five minutes. And it completely, it was just so interesting to me. This is a, an eight-year-old talking, um, you know, you know, she's eight. She was eight then. And, uh, and now she's a, 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 she just turned nine uh, a week ago. But it was just the cutest thing that, you know, you suddenly realize that they are actually listening to what we're saying. And it made an enormous difference to how that morning turned out. That's a great story. That really is. And and kids, they don't miss a trick. It just it mm-hmm. amazes me. They catch everything that's going on, whether mm-hmm. whether we want them to or not, you know. <laughs> We've got a little bit of time left in the show, and we we haven't talked about PD reimagined, have mm-hmm. we? No, we have not. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So two years ago or so, I started getting really, really worried. So obviously, in my role, I've been in hundreds and hundreds of classrooms, over over four or five hundred classrooms, and I started noticing that almost in every level of education, whether it was teachers. Um, administrators, school leaders um, in, in the district, everyone was getting overwhelmed and everyone was feeling a little bit of resentment growing. And it was just the morale was really, really low and it was continuing in a downward trend in a not exciting way. I was very scared by it. And then I started reading all the news articles that were talking about teacher burnout and how many people are thinking of leaving. And I started doing something about it because I don't come from a very traditional tra- uh, trajectory in education. I come from, you know, I was a lawyer, an international trade lawyer. Then I was a touring opera singer. And I brought those two worlds really into how I think about education. Uh, and in a corporate setting, if your morale is low, uh, they would bring in motivational speakers. And there's a lot of amazing research. Helen um, Imodino Yang actually has a wonderful TED talk on what happens to our brains when we're inspired and how it can shift mindsets. So they bring in these motivational speakers or inspirational speakers to shift those mindsets. Then they do team building work to build that community uh, and sense of belonging, connectedness. And then maybe they increase their pay or, or provide gifts or, or experiences in order to increase their sense of value. And so what we did was something similar, and we kind of emulated that with uh, uh, one of and one of our initiatives called PD Reimagined. And we uh, have a big storytelling element to it, and so every month has a different theme. And teachers can sign up for free. It's all uh, sponsored. Actually, Nickelodeon came on board and Worley EDU came on board as our two key sponsors and, and paid for the entire pilot, which was very exciting. Uh, but the teachers, it's free for them and they get every month a care package. And the care package is really for them, not for their classrooms. It's for them because before they are teachers or school leaders, they're actually human beings with needs. And so we're upskilling them in their own self-care and uh, 
teaching them what it means. What's, what does self-care really mean? Because you can actually, with three minutes, you know, if you have a spare three minutes, do a lot to refuel yourself and re-inspire yourself. Uh, things like listening to music, just breath work, things like that. So every month um, they'd get this care package with really cool products in it. And it also hints at who the mystery guest speaker is at a virtual summit. And then later in the month we have uh, this summit, um, a virtual summit that they all come to. And we have these incredible speakers speaking with them. And then they take that uh, into group settings and they co-create some strategies, like what's the biggest aha moments and how can I use some of this information in self-care for myself? Um, and they come up with some strategies and they commit to trying those strategies for the month and then they report back to us and they get micro-credentials. This, uh, we actually gave an NFT, so a non-fungible token, as their um, micro-credentials that they can then prove that they came and get credits with the district. But the idea is really we want them to not only build their self-care and wellness sort of um, skills, but then also be able to feel inspired, celebrated, valued, and heard. And so we had an amazing pilot and 100% of our participants uh, saw value in the program. And uh, we've had many, many emails saying that it was literally the light in a very, very dark year for them. And um, with 55% of teachers thinking of leaving the, um, the profession, it scares me so much that, you know, we need as much inspiration and light out there, I think, as we can possibly muster. Because if even 10% of them leave, I think it will cripple a public education system. Wow. That's, it is, the public education system is hurting. There is certainly no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now more people are homeschooling and mm -hmm. there's more alternatives to public school. There's organized homeschooling. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, I'm amazed at all the different ways that we can learn now. Yeah, and I'm not trying to take that away. I think that you know, I, the more diverse uh, and uh, you know, op uh, the more diverse opportunities there are for learners, the better it is for everybody because everybody learns in you know different environment, better in different environments. Uh, but we do have this system, the public education system, available to us, and nobody enters the teaching profession because they're doing it for money or for any other reason than they want to help. And so we have the bones for somewhat, you know, for real positive change. And so I think if we can just start to just really change the perspective a little bit so that we can we can use this, leverage this, this structure that is the public education system and and recognize that we're individuals in that structure, in that system. And we are all bringing our emotions we're all bringing our own energy into the mix and it's very interesting to me that every single super successful person that I've spoken to whether it's an astrophysicist or an athlete or an actress or um, a musician anyone they all have this teacher who is instrumental in their life and it's very you know powerful when you think about that how these teachers can really impact and influence children's lives. And the better that we can make them feel, the more likely it is that they'll take more and more on um, and, and really give the right energy back to these kids. 
Well, I think, you know, we've got a, a few minutes left. And I think that for parents out there that are listening, I mean, parents play a huge role in the education that their children get. For mm-hmm. parents that are out there listening, what advice do you have for them and as far as their involvement with the education system? I think um, having, uh, just knowing that the cycle, right, the media is also involved with this, but there's a really bad cycle happening right now where basically we know that we're just energy that's walking into a room and we know that job satisfaction and um, our own um, psyche and our own well-being all contributes to academic outcomes of kids. So as those academic outcomes have declined over the last few years, uh, even pre-pandemic, there's this blame game happening. And a lot of, whether it's administrators, whether it's the public and the media, um, pointing at teachers as if they're not doing the right, the best job. But they're a part of the system. And I think the more, rather than blaming, I think let's inspire and let's let people learn from mistakes and let people... um, bring people up, don't push them down, in other words. So the more that we can see people as human beings and not just as a job, the better it is for everybody. I think when you build a relationship with your kids' teachers and you have good communication, that's really crucial too. But there is something to schools, right, that we bring our own experiences in. And so even for me, when my kids went back to school, I sort of immediately felt like I was in trouble again um, when I was entering school grounds. And there were all these rules again. But I think the more that schools can do to make people feel comfortable and the more that we can also make it feel like it's a partnership, it's not, you know, we're we're working in partnership uh, for the betterment of our kids, uh, then that's the healthiest way to go. I hope that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, for, for our listeners out there that want to learn more about the Whirly edu and and about the different products that are out there how do they find you are you online are you yeah so they can find me uh so there's whirlyedu.com which is w-u-r-l-y-e-d-u.com um my mama says or emotionwonderland.com uh and uh they can also find me on all social media at mrs whirly so m-i-s and w-u-r-l-y uh, message me, tweet me, um, LinkedIn me, whatever you want to do. <laughs> uh, you, can, you can connect with me for sure. Social media me. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's great to know that there's because schools need they need guidance. They need change. We've with everything that's gone on in the school system in the last year, there certainly is a, some a need for creativity mm-hmm. and a fun approach. And let's breathe some life into it. Yeah, uh, we have the opportunity now. We do. And I think and it, the more that we can relieve the over the feelings of overwhelm, the more people can actually authentically problem solve, whether it's a school leader or whether it's a teacher. So the more that we can relieve that feeling of overwhelm with things like ridiculous regulations, um, that requires certain, you know, form filling and things like that. Uh, you know, the more that we can take some of that pressure off, the more helpful it will be for actual problem solving. 
Well, I think that is a great note to end on because it's a positive note and it and it makes us all see that where we need to direct our energy, because I think many times we direct it in the wrong direction. And that's even more frustrating. Nadine, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I enjoyed learning about the products and I enjoyed learning about the emotional intelligence and how that can be applied to such young kids. I think that that will help them not only in school, but as in their personal life as, as they develop. I thank you greatly for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the talk. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 